morning, would you take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to thank all of you for all the kind texts over the past week, checking on me and praying for me. You don't know how much that means to me. Um, My voice is still very weak, uh, so we'll get through as much of this as we can. Uh, Just be aware that that, uh, I still have limitations after whatever it is. Uh, I went to the doctor. They're about as uh, helpful as, I don't know. Um, All I know is that they decided I needed a Q-tip in the nose, and um, that was good, so you'll be relieved to know that. Nothing wrong there. Uh, But I'm thankful, in all seriousness, the Lord has given me a, a really good, I don't really remember i used to battle this constantly growing up as a kid and even in in adulthood i think the last time looking back that i struggled with anything like this was about four years ago which is a which is a record for me so while it's been a frustrating week it's also been one i've been very thankful uh to have had um good health in that way so uh just bear with my voice this morning if you will and uh i'm on I'm well, just uh, dealing with the, the aftermath of it, um, having had it for about a week. So thank you for your prayers again. Peter, writing to these people whom he loved a great deal in the early church, writes this beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. That is the name of Christian. Let's pray. Father, I ask for strength, a voice to proclaim your word this morning. It may be only your word that is heard. May the weakness and the distraction of the messenger not get in the way of the message of Your Word this morning. Holy Spirit, You come please and preach to each heart and each mind. So exalt the Lord Jesus Christ that we consider it an honor to suffer for His name. So exalt the glorious and grand salvation that You have birthed us into that we would willingly tell it, though it cost us everything. And we pray, Father, that You, in all things, would be glorified through the work of Your Son, who has given us this great name. The name Christian. The name of one who follows Your Son and desires to be like Him. We pray this all in His name. Amen. Well, this sermon was written not in the past week, but in the week before, and was not able to deliver it. 
last Lord's Day. I thank Samuel so much for preaching so well in my absence. But as time has rolled on and was not preaching this on the Sunday that I thought I would be preaching this, it's like a great piece of meat that has marinated and marinated more and more and to have more flavor and more meaning. Well, that seems to be the case as we have watched yet another week of life in a fallen world go by. Uh, in fact, I was reminded freshly of that this morning. I received a text from Sergey, and he said, pray, pray for our country. They had a, uh, a military intervention this morning. Uh, a young man who uh, has worked with Sergey and some of the things that he's done in the country there was on a flight from uh, Athens, Greece to Vilnius, Lithuania, which took them over Belarusian airspace. The plane, commercial plane, was forced down by Belarusian fighter jets and uh, the plane stormed and that man was uh, taken off the flight there in Belarus. And so persecution for people, particularly Christian people who are outspoken for their faith, it just continues, continues to escalate around the world. But in our immediate context this morning, I have a concern. I have a concern for the church in America today. I have a concern for Christians in America today. Brothers and sisters, that concern is this, that we treat some parts of Scripture seriously And the parts that we find inconvenient or contradicting what we wish they said, we simply dismiss. That almost seems to be the American hermeneutic today. We we take the parts of the Word of God that we like, and we dismiss the parts we don't like. Or we dismiss the parts that are not convenient. Or we dismiss the parts that might cause us to be looked down upon by the culture and by society. I guess if I had to sum it up in short, it would be this, that if Jesus and the apostles were alive today and were to have walked in this morning and asked for an audience, in too many places they would not be welcome. We wouldn't want to hear what they have to say. Which simply means this, that the Holy Spirit that inspired the Word of God in too many places to be taken as the whole truth of God is not welcome in those places either. Because He at times has written things and inspired things that too are inconvenient truths. Inconvenient demands upon our life. And I don't say this lightly, I say it because I've seen it personally. I've experienced it personally. But like the the recipients in Peter's day, we, we have a need, we have a great need, we have an overarching need to hear the whole counsel of God to prepare us. If we're not hearing the whole counsel of God, brothers and sisters, we are malnourished and weak and we will not survive. Peter understood this. That's why Peter so honestly and forthrightly and openly addressed any myriad of things in the day in which he wrote. And if we're unwilling to be confronted by the Word of God and the realities around us, brothers and sisters, 
I don't hold much hope for you. Or for those who only want to hear the happy things or the good things of Scripture. I don't hold out any hope that you'll endure for Christ if you're not willing to be prepared for Christ now. Pastors in Canada, again, as I mentioned, this week has brought about a fresh round of arrests and churches being literally padlocked shut. Every week for the last several months, increasing numbers of churches in Canada are having to go underground. Why? Simply to hear the Word of God preached. That's it. They're our closest cousin. And we as Christians need to understand that the persecuting the persecution they are facing today, and it's not only the shuttering of their churches, it is the shuttering of their mouths. There is increasing demands and legislations being passed in that country just to our north of what you can and can't say. And these are not off-the-wall things. These are things straight out of the Word of God. This is not conspiracy theory. This is saying things like God created two genders. That's worthy of hate crime speech now. We're we're facing difficult times and my concern is this. Just sharing my heart with you this morning is that if we are not willing to be prepared by the Word of God as Peter was clearly trying to do for people in his day, then we will not stand. This is, there's a new uh, cultural Christianity that seems to be bubbling up to the surface that, that wants to turn a blind eye to following Christ through difficulty. And compromise seems to be the, the end of that example almost without fail. There's a willingness to see only what is viewed as positive or something that feels reassuring or only tell us about the, the good things that Scripture says. Hey, by the way, that's another win and plus for expository sequential preaching. When you go verse by verse, you have to take it verse by verse. And when the uncomfortable stuff comes, guess what you have to do? Put your head down and take it on the chin. That's all, that's all it is. And, and Peter you now takes us to a place where I have personally experienced people say, I don't want to hear that. That upsets me. That makes me feel anxious. Well, that's exactly why Peter is bringing it up, so that you won't feel anxious, because you will be the better prepared to deal with truth as it is. Brothers and sisters, this life is not a reassuring life because of the fall. But for the Christian, it is a reassuring life because of our God. And so that's where we want to go this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. Salvation we have is a positive thing. The salvation you have in Christ is always reassuring. It will always be reassuring. But note this, that expecting heaven now in a world where hell reigns through the fall and through the curse is absolutely unthinkable and insane the world hated our jesus and the world will hate those in whom the spirit of jesus dwells (coughs) because god writes the story because he has 
prepared the way for each one of us to be faithful. We must listen to what the Word of God says. That's what a loving God does. He prepares His people. He equips us through the Word. And I want you to notice this morning when I have to cough. I want you to notice three things in these verses, if we can get through them all. Three truths that prepare us to suffer for Christ. Do you notice that Peter gives us three categories, three truths that prepare us for suffering for Christ? Look, number one, there's the truth of certain testing. There's a truth of certain testing. Notice the tenderness, first of all, from Peter. Peter starts by saying, beloved ones, loved ones, family, those whom I am giving my life and ministry for. What a, what a difference God has made in this man's life. The, the calloused fisherman, the, the rough and tough, inept swordsman. The one who would have at times called down fire. Now he addresses these struggling Christians as my beloved ones. He's like a loving father. What does a loving father do? Well, a loving father at times does stuff that is inconvenient and you don't really want to think about it. Things like talking to his family about his will. Things like going out and buying life insurance to make sure his wife and children are provided for. Things like having to sit his family down and say, you know, if anything ever happens to me, I know my dad's had those kind of conversations with me and my reaction has always been, Dad, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. But it's absolutely a loving thing to do, to, to prepare people for the inevitable. And Peter is doing that because he loves them. He's trying to provide for their future and prepare them for their future. And notice what he says. Here's what you need to know, loved ones. And I say it to you as well. Here's what we need to know, loved ones. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised. The word literally means to, to be treated like a guest. Someone who would show up at the last minute unannounced and knock on your door and, and ask for hospitality to be served to them. It was unprepared. And Peter says, listen, don't be surprised like that. In other words, always be ready that there's going to be a knock on the door. Always be expecting this to come to you. Loved ones, the Christian life is to be a prepared life in this way. Did you hear that? The Christian life is to expect that knock on the door. That Christian life is to expect difficulty suffering for christ should not be thought of as having been an unexpected stranger to show up at our front door rather we are to expect the very opposite of that that was what peter is preparing us for to think about suffering for christ as part of the christian life now that that is not common thinking in America especially. 
it's not, it hasn't been. Because we have been, uh, you know, at least on the surface, told that we are a Christian nation, that we, we live in a Christian nation. And whether or not that was true, it's been treated as so, hasn't it? I mean, church attendance and Christ in the culture and even prayer in the school, that was the norm in our nation for so long. And now that that veneer has been pulled back, we're starting to find out, wait a minute, there is somebody at the door. And they are knocking. And and this is not easy. We've been programmed to think about this entirely wrong. And, And we're actually shocked when we have to take a stand. People act shocked that they actually have to take the stand that we were talking about at 10 o'clock this morning. Some of the reformers and the Puritans and the English forebears that gave us our own English Bibles had to take, they, they were burned at the stake. And we look at them and we say, Tyndall is my hero. John Rogers is my hero. And on and on the list goes and we exhort, and then when it comes to us and they tell us, you can't talk about those things in the workplace anymore. What do, you, what do you mean? And we're, we're scandalized and we're shocked by the fact that we actually have to make that stand. I read last night of a realtor who just was fired because he shared what he believed to be the truth from Scripture about the LGBTQ plus agenda. And his broker fired him for it. We shouldn't be shocked. Saddened, yes. Disappointed, yes. Bothered, yes. Shocked, no. That's the reality of the world in which we're living. That's the world these people lived in. Just throw a a, a pinch of salt on the altar, altar and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you have to do. And Peter's saying, they're going to tell you that, Christian, in the era in which he was writing, they're going to ask for you to confess Caesar as Lord and not Jesus. Don't be shocked when they do it. Don't be surprised. Suffering for Christ has always had a risk about it. Following Jesus has always been hard. And I'll tell you, I've been particularly ashamed at and discouraged by some who, whom I've known in, 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 in the, my former life in, in, in fundamentalist circles and where I grew up who, who would stand up and shake their fists in the air and yell they'll never compromise have been some of the first to, cut, to cave. That's been hard to watch. Friends with whom I trained and went to school and who you think think like you, all of a sudden decide that it's not worth the risk. And it's easier just to go with status quo than to actually make a stand for Christ. Yeah, it's concerning. Peter's question might sound something like this if it were to be posed in the text this morning, if, it were to, if we were to translate that over into a counseling session. Modern Christian comes in and says, I can't believe that I was fired for my job because I said X, Y, and Z. And that's what the Bible says. 
Peter responds by saying, why are we having this conversation? You know what the Bible said? You know what Jesus said? Why, why are we having this conversation? I told you, do not be surprised. That may sound strange on your ear, Western Christian living in the 21st century, but Peter says, don't be surprised. You better start thinking down this road. Because we have, whether intentionally or unintentionally, bought into the ideal that to follow Christ isn't going to really cost us anything except I don't know what. But Peter is saying the suffering for, for Christians in this age, and brothers and sisters, again, Christians, the majority of Christians around the world think we're the weirdos because we've never had to suffer for our faith. Oh, maybe there's been family disagreements and we've been ostracized from family and that's painful and I'm not minimizing that. But wholesale Christians have not suffered in the United States. Therefore, when we talk about being prepared and not being surprised, it's like turning a flashlight on in someone's face as soon as they wake up. It's what? I'll grant you this, that When we get down to verses 13 and 14, it gets a little bit hard. Not only are we not to be surprised, but we're to rejoice in it. That is hard. We're moving from a, don't just, don't be surprised. But but actually rejoice in it. That, that, That is hard. It's hard for our flesh. Because what is our flesh? It's weak and it's tainted with fear and tainted with uncertainties. It's hard because for too long the the Christian mentality in America has been, hey, listen, Jesus will make you, wait, was it Jesus or poor Richard's almanac? Happy, wealthy, and wise, and healthy too. We've thought like that. We've conflated that with Christianity. And Peter's like, no, don't be surprised. Don't you notice that Peter is not offering a dire forecast, but a golden opportunity for believers. Wherein the Christian should be and is commanded to be one who is rejoicing and to be thankful for the opportunities God has placed in front of us in order to live out our faith in such a demonstrable way. How do we reach that point, Peter? How do we get to that point where we can actually rejoice in suffering? I think Peter would ask us this question. It starts with the end goal. What do you want most in life? Do you want to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or do you want your comfort? Do you want to exalt the gospel of God? Do you want to promote who God is? Do you want to live biblically proclaiming truth or do you just want to be comfortable nothing wrong with comfort in and of itself but there is when we replace faithful living to christ with comfort you know what our answer should be to that question what do you want most in life our answer should be this to be rid of sin and made ready for heaven To be rid of sin and made ready for heaven. Christian, is that what you want more than anything? To be rid of sin and made ready for heaven? 
Do you want more than anything else God to prepare you for the life to come, which is the life that really matters, the life that will go on without end? Is that what you want? It ought to be what you want. More than anything else, sadly, for too many of us, it's been simply to live comfortably until Jesus calls us home. We've confused the palliative care of of, uh, morphine with the Christian life. Just keep us comfortable, Jesus, till you take us home. Just make life easy. What is this? Spiritual hospice? No, it's a war. It's a battlefield. And Peter is trying to prepare us not to go into hospice, but to put on the full armor of God and charge hell with it. Knowing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the overcoming power of a risen Savior. God's idea is to make us holy. To set us apart from the world. To be refined by Him as our Master. And brothers and sisters, if that is God's goal for us, and if we adopt that goal, we can rejoice. Notice what Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. (coughs) The fiery trial. The painful trial that is among you. The word painful trial literally translated means this, an intense degree of some painful occurrence or experience, a burning ordeal. Realize this, Christian, you shouldn't be surprised when those burning ordeals come into your life. Why is that, Peter? Why is that? Notice what he says. It has come upon you for your testing. It's come upon you to test you. What to test us for what? To test the genuineness of our faith. It's better to be tested and proven on earth and made ready and sure for heaven than it is to be untested, unproven on earth and made oblivious for hell. I'd rather know now. I'd rather you know now whether or not you're in the faith. We're told over and over, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. What is one way God uses to do that? To test us. To test us through fiery ordeals, through trials. Brothers and sisters, we see what's on the horizon and it looks dark and I'll grant you that it is. But it is not outside the the glorious sovereign hand of God who will use that to test us and reassure us. I think pastorally, one of the greatest challenges that we face in counseling and in discipleship is people who wrestle with the assurance of their faith. It's a question that regularly comes up. It makes sense that it comes up. In fact, I would even say it's good that it comes up. Because I would rather you ask questions now than later. I would rather deal with those things now. And ironically, one of the outside of Scripture, one of the places I often turn people to, other than Scripture, for encouragement is to read sermons and letters written by Puritans. Puritans were masters 
at taking people to the Word of God. But there's something interesting about the Puritans. They wrote and they ministered at a time of great fiery ordeal. They were tested and tried. Their faith was proven, not in the ease of ivory towers, but in the battle trenches of persecution. Peter's doing the same thing here. He wants us to live and examine life. He says, don't be surprised because this actually has a benefit for you. It is testing your faith for its authenticity and genuineness. The Greek philosopher Socrates picked up on this idea that the Bible is chock full of, and he said this, and you probably know his famous maxim, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life, the unexamined Christian life, is not worth living. The untested Christian life is not worth living. Christian, we need to rest assured that God will not allow us to live our life in an untested way, and we ought to give thanks and glory to God for that. Because He wants us to be assured. That assurance that comes through testing fulfills and furthers our alignment with Christ in which and in whom we find our joy. James Moffat, the commentator, wrote this, Only valuable metal is smelted in a furnace and smelted to bring out its brilliance and lasting value. Why would God allow the church to suffer? Why would God allow Christians to suffer? Namely this, to test us, to try us, and to refine us and make us a polished trophy of His grace. Nothing brings God greater glory than children whom He has brought through trial and suffering by His own hand. Covered in the blood of His Son, Nothing could be of more value and concern to God than His children. So Peter says, do not be surprised. God is refining you for His glory. He is perfecting you. He's removing the impurities of your life. And unless you say, I don't know about that, Brian. I don't think God would do that. Drop down to next Sunday's sermon in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin where? With the house of God. It starts here, and then it moves out. God's purifying work begins here, and then it moves out. One commentator again wrote that this is the great fire which Christ came to kindle on earth to purify those who are His. We should not be surprised. I want you to go back to chapter 4 and verse 4 just to look at another usage of this word. Look in verse 4. This idea of surprise was also mentioned as being part of the pagans. In all this, they are what? Surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. Peter says, they're shocked when you become a Christian and you quit running with them and doing all the things that pagans do. In other words, quit being a pagan. They're surprised by that. You shouldn't be surprised. When those who are surprised start persecuting the ones who surprised them. That are shocked by them. Again, you have to remember, brothers and sisters, we just mentioned earlier in the first hour that 
good Bible study habits, context is king. Understanding what Scripture is saying is, is so important. And who it is said to is important. Remember that Peter is largely writing to a Gentile audience. Now, Jewish people, they kind of already knew what it was to be persecuted. They, 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 they're not strangers to that. That had been happening to them by the Romans and others for quite some time. That They know what it's like to have an entire nation taken captive and hauled off to a foreign country. They've been there. That's part of their ingrained way of thinking. But these Gentile believers, it's foreign to them. They've not had to go through these things that the Jewish people had. And so, so Peter is trying to prepare them for what it is to be a child of God. These Gentiles, again, had been at one time at home in their own city, accepted by the pagans because... Well, let's face it, they were pagans too. And they did the same things and went to the same places together and visited the same temples of debauchery together. And now they don't. And they are trying to reconcile the hatred that is now poured out on them. And with which God is redeeming it and using to refine them and strengthen them and assure them. So Peter says, don't be surprised. God is behind this. God is doing this. This is not some strange thing that's happening to you. Why does Peter not want them to be surprised? Because too often surprise leads to compromise. If you're not ready for something, it will overwhelm you. That's why our military goes to such great extremes to create as close as possible to battlefield conditions to put our uh, servicemen through to, to prepare them for combat and different things and simulators and spend all kinds of money doing building mock cities to invade that, that represent the replica of where they're going so that there's no retreat and there's no um, loss of how to think once you get there. Surprise often leads to compromise. Don't underestimate the, the painful experience that these people are having. It's real. But it is to prepare them to know what's coming, Peter says. To know why it is coming. To know what it's going to produce when it gets here. And to know who it is ultimately that's going to see you through it. Now Peter switches, if you'll notice with me in the text, Peter switches from rebuking a wrong attitude towards suffering, that is being surprised, to commending a right attitude. Look at verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. But, Peter says, here's the conjunction, here's the contrast now, to the degree that you do suffer, know this. You are sharing in, you are participating in the very life of Christ through His sufferings. You are identifying with Christ. You are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You are simply living out the life He has gone before you and lived out. And we all understand this. There was a time in all of our lives, and there's a time of some of the people in here this morning that it's still true and it's a glorious time of life. But we all had heroes and we loved imitating our heroes, didn't we? 
We wore the costumes. We pretended to be. We walked through. I was, I grew up, I'm thankful for a dad who raised me to love all things military. Both of my grandfathers served honorably. In fact, I'm the first one in our family not to have military experience. But I can remember going back east, going to visit all the famous battlefields where things happen, and my dad pointing out things to me as a young child and pretending to hide down behind a wall and shoot at the bad guys, stand behind cannons and pretend you're, you're fighting back the enemy, to stand where Cornwallis surrendered, to visit all, I knew what it was like. I followed in their footsteps as best as I could. And Peter says, when you suffer, know this, that you are not pretending, but you really are following in the footsteps of Christ. You, you are following your champion. You are following your hero. Don't be discouraged by them, but rather realize this is how Jesus lived and this is how you now get to live just like Him. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters, and I want you to take this to heart. Because as we increasingly, by the grace of God, stand for the truth of God's Word and of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and as we promote those things, and as we, with love but yet with boldness, encourage, herald those things, and people come against us and begin to, to persecute you for those things, just realize this, the only reason they are persecuting you is because they can't find Jesus to persecute Him again. They hate your Savior. And the fact that He is seen clearly enough in you to be persecuted is a joy for us. The tragedy is when there's not enough Jesus to provoke the conscience of our persecutors. That's the real tragedy. The real joy is when they see enough of Jesus in us, enough of the Word of God in us, that they're actually provoked. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know this, that it has hated me before it hated you. Don't consider it strange. Don't be surprised. And if it, they hate Jesus, if there's enough of Jesus in us, to per, now listen, if Peter's already made this point clear, but if you're just out being tacky and a moron and bringing it on yourself by doing stupid stuff, that's not persecution. You're getting what you deserved. But if you are standing for Christ on the Word of God and the persecution comes, let it come. They're persecuting your Savior, who they see in you. The implied exhortation is this, brothers and sisters, look more and more like Jesus. Look so much like Jesus so that your rejoicing through persecution may be increased. Notice verse 13. It is an imperative. Keep on rejoicing. Don't stop. Keep ramping it up. Faster, Harder, stronger. Keep going. Don't peel back. Move forward. Increase 
that which is causing your persecution. Rejoice in Him. This is not the time for Christians or the church to try to look like the world in order to avoid persecution. Okay? This is not the time. Peter's not saying, now's the time to go cultural, people. Peter's saying, now's the time to be countercultural. To look different than the world looks. The reason we're surprised when we do suffer, maybe, maybe we're surprised, is because we thought we looked enough like the world to avoid it. Maybe our compromise is already showing. Peter says, just keep rejoicing. Keep following Christ so hard and fast and so close that, 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 that there is more persecution. And as you re- suffer these painful trials, keep on rejoicing that Jesus was seeing you. Does Jesus matter enough to you? Or does your comfort matter more to where you say, ah, don't really. When Christ returns, In His unbridled, outward glory, you'll be seen with Christ. You'll be part of the army of Revelation 19. You'll be those seated with Him coming. And that, dear family, is the most joyous, ecstatic cause for our exaltation. Know this, it's not that we're seen tied to a stake, but rather seated with Christ, coming to rule and reign with Him. It's this idea that that bubbles over and lasts for eternity. Don't be surprised. Don't try to hide. Don't try to camouflage. That's nauseating. Nobody enjoys a hypocrite. Nobody. Let me tell you this. There's enough of that in the world today. People who have a pseudo-Christianity that just continue to go more and more and more and more and more along with the world to be like the world in order to get along. And they think they're earning the world's respect. They're not earning the world's respect. They're earning their disdain. Nobody likes a hypocrite. And at some point, they'll either have to sell the faith out completely or they will be brought to repentance that they did what they did for so long only to realize in the end it was never enough. Don't go down that road. Let Christ so be made manifest in you that you are willing to stand. Secondly, there's the truth of a certain testimony that comes. Peter's instruction in this four verses should come with a warning label, I'm convinced. Warning, only to be opened by those whose love for Christ overshadows everything else. If that does not apply to you, don't open my letter. Because it won't make any sense to you. Suffering for Christ is hard. It's very hard. But suffering without Christ, Peter says, is impossible. It may be hard to live for Jesus. It will be far harder to live without Jesus when the wrath of God is unveiled. And that he gets to again in verse 19. Peter gives encouragement and instruction to those who love Christ, but who still need help and strength to suffer for Christ. Notice what he goes on to say. 
If you are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Verse 14. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter seems to be recalling a sermon he's heard somewhere back in the past. I I can't recall the exact date, but it seems we were on a mountain. Yeah, we were. We were on a mountain, and Jesus gathered all the disciples that were following. It was early on in His ministry, now that I recall. Jesus gathers all the disciples together, and He begins to talk to them about what life in the kingdom of God looks like. I think if I was going to call it anything, I'd call it the Beatitudes. And Jesus said something about this. And it's almost as if Peter is just echoing that sermon. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Larry read it for us earlier. What assurance that we have that that the coming King and our rejoicing with Him in His kingdom is ours. The identity that we have as Christ, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You do understand that, right? We're watching the world around us and we're going, that's not true! You're right, it's not true. Jesus didn't say it would be true. He said it will come falsely. But we all, I think, run through such a grid of truth that it it does me. I'm black and white. I hate falsehood. You do too. And we look at the way, that's not even true. Yeah, Jesus said it wouldn't be true. They're going to accuse you falsely. They're going to make things up. To to revile you in order to demean you and in order to heap insults upon you. Peter says you're blessed if that happens. What? Blessed? The word could be translated happy. Happy are you. Rejoicing are you when men persecute you. When men insult you. When they revile you. Why? Because we've taken on the name of Christ and His character. Why? So that Christ might be glorified. That's our chief goal. They come, they are attracted to us because of what they see in us for the purpose of persecution. Like angry, looting mobs that target stores and houses that portray a certain level of uh, prosperity or affluence. Let's face it, nobody's looting the hood. Where do they go? They go to that which attracts them. They go to... To, to places where they think they can get something they don't have. It's the same with Christianity. When Christ is seen, it's like a candle attracting the moths. They're going to come flocking. They're going to find you out. They're going to seek you out. Why? Because you're so visor, visibly and demonstrably different. Christ so dwells in you that you will be the Object, the sought out object of the vile hatred of Satan and his minions. Now, again, that's just trying to prepare you for reality. That's what Jesus said. That's what the disciples said. That's what the apostles wrote about. Peter says, You're blessed. You are so blessed. 
because the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rest upon you. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters. I thought this was America where everybody liked God. Think again. This is a fallen world where nobody likes God until God's Spirit changes them. Remember Stephen? The book of Acts? Man, if there is a man that is worthy of commending to our children, it is Stephen. He wasn't a preacher by trade. But boy, could he preach. And boy, did he preach a sermon built on a platform of his life. And when Peter, I'm sorry, when Stephen was persecuted, I want you to to remember what the Bible records in Acts chapter 6 and verse 10. But as they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, he was stoned to death. Let me read that again. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He so aggravated the world by his Christ-likeness, by his words, by the power of his words, by the power of his sermon. They could not bear it, so they killed him. Did Stephen fail? Did Stephen fail to be culturally appropriated enough? No, Stephen succeeded in demonstrating Christ enough. And he went home to his eternal reward. They hated the light because it shed more light upon their sin. They hate Christ because Christ is preached exclusively. They hate the salt that purifies. They hate the light that reveals. But you are blessed because you know Him, Christian. You are blessed because the fruit of His glorious life residing in you is producing something in you that the world hates but God loves. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Jesus has these instructions for His disciples. But when they hand you over, do not worry about or how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Hey, disciples, followers of me, just realize that's going to happen. But we have a great hope, don't we? That the same Spirit who sealed us for salvation, who made it where it is impossible for us to be lost in our salvation, will reside with us in that moment and will give us what it is we are to say. But we should not expect that the Spirit that brings a a knowledge of God and conviction of sin will be welcomed or appreciated by those who don't want either of those things. So when that inevitably happens, Christian, know that your great joy and your great hope is that the Spirit of God is in you and manifesting Himself through you. Then I want you to notice lastly, verses 15 and 16, there is the truth of conflicting trouble. Peter, again, having focused us on Christ and why it is that we suffer, now returns to a possibility which he hopes will be true for none of us. 
That is the theme of suffering because of your own doing. Not because of Christ. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. You see, it is possible to suffer for the wrong reasons. And Peter has already addressed this in 1 Peter 2, verses 20-24. through 24. You can't suffer just because you're a jerk. Because you're a sinner. You're suffering sinfully. And Peter says that that's not a way to suffer. And there's no joy in that suffering. Peter, Peter lists several ways in which we could find ourselves suffering. And, and listen, if you find yourself suffering for these things, you deserve it. Not only do you deserve it, it's right that you would suffer for these things. I want you to notice the scale, okay? Christian, notice the scale that slides from obvious criminal activity down to personal privacy matters. Then concludes that there are many ways you can suffer and many reasons for which you can suffer. Notice what he begins with. Make sure that none of you is a murderer or a thief. Well, it doesn't get much worse than that. That's pretty bad. But then as he goes on, he says, or an evildoer, one who just is is riotous, who just causes trouble everywhere he goes. He's, He's a public disgrace. Oh, but then down to one who is what? One who is a troublesome meddler. The word is translated in other Parts of Scripture, busybody. Gladys Kravitz. The nosy neighbor. The one who's just sticking their nose in other people's business. Where it does, You know, you can suffer for that. And if your nose gets punched because you put it there, you probably deserves it. But Peter says that's a, that's a sinful thing. That's a wrong thing. Don't do that. Cleon Rogers defines troublesome meddler as one who looks after the affairs of another, an agitator, a mischief maker, meddling in someone else's domestic affairs. Don't do that. That's, That's not a reason, a legitimate reason to suffer. Yet, many times we've seen professing Christians are guilty of these things and then they paint themselves to be the martyrs. Oh, isn't that grotesque? People do these kinds of things and they say, oh, poor me. I'm the martyr? No, you deserve that. Don't do that. That's a bad testimony, not a good testimony. That's not noble suffering. That's not noble persecution. Christian, we need to avoid that kind of behavior. Why do you think Peter mentions that here? Because under the duress of trials, and persecution, it's going to be real easy to give in to your flesh. To be evil. To take a life. To be a thief. To do things because you feel vindicated in doing it. Peter said, don't you dare suffer for that reason. Don't give in to your flesh. That is a problem. We see even in our own day, in our own culture, how certain actions are vindicated, don't we? Well, I'm of this oppressed class, and I'm of this, therefore I have the right to do... 
No, no, no. Right is right, no matter when. Wrong is wrong, no matter when. Peter says, don't give in to your flesh. Avoid those types of things. That, by the way, persecution is going to make it harder. You know how this works. When you're under financial pressure at home, when you're under other kinds of pressure at home, it's easier to snap at the ones we love, isn't it? Why would it be any different in the church? When pressure and persecution comes on the church, the church can, if they're not careful, you've got to guard your own heart. You are still a sinner, by the way. I am still a sinner. and We have to guard ourselves. That we don't stoop to that type of behavior. But rather suffer as a Christian, Peter says. As a Christian, one of the few times this word is actually mentioned in the last time in the New Testament that it's mentioned this name, Christian. One who follows Christ. The unbelievers used it as a term of derision, but Peter is picking up that usage and saying, let's redeem that. That is not a term of derision. That is a term of blessing. Oh, look, there goes one of those Jesus followers, those Christ followers. There goes one who seeks to be like Christ. Peter says, oh, that's a blessed thing. If you do suffer as a Christian, you are not to be ashamed. Paul said something like this to his young protege. I've read letters in the past few weeks from some of my fellow Canadian pastors who've already written letters to their children telling them, when I am arrested, do not be ashamed of me. Paul says to Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Timothy, don't be ashamed. But join with me, he says to Timothy, in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. The gospel is the power of God, Romans 1, 16 and 17. It is the power of God that not only saves, but leads us through this world's persecution and into the glories of our Lord and Savior. And Paul says, rejoice, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. We will be told when we suffer that it is because we are on the wrong side of history. That we are anti-progress. That we don't know what love is. That we are against tolerance. That we we are uh, anti-intellectual people. That we are rejectors of science. That we don't care if people are happy. That we are bigots and hate mongers. Not true. We are lovers. We are lovers of truth. We are lovers of our Christ. And we are lovers of the world for whom Christ died. And we love them enough to stand up against their lies and tell the truth. But you will be hated for that. They will say all manner of things. How against you, Jesus says? Truthfully? No, falsely. So be okay with that. Brothers and sisters, I am calling on you right now to reconcile yourself to that reality. Just go ahead and say, that's going to happen to me. And I'm good with that. I will rejoice in that. Why, Peter? Why? Because you are to glorify God in this name. 
all that's happening to you is a greater platform for you to bring glory to your Father, your God, your Savior, your Creator. What a glorious opportunity. No one else can claim that, but we can. We're not to allow the shame that the world seeks to put upon us. By the way, that's always the first step in persecution. They want to shame you into silence. That's long before the burning of books or the burning of martyrs. It's just to shame you into silence. Don't let it happen. Rather, glory in this, that God was so seen in you that you were counted worthy to suffer because of Him. So when they accuse, let it flow like water off a duck's back, like a Teflon-coated skillet. Everything just slides out. At least that's what the guy on the TV infomercial says, right? Don't let it stick. Don't let it be anything in your life that there is a legitimate complaint about, verses 15 and 16, but rather glory in this. Don't be ashamed. Glory that you have the name Christian. Not in name only, but in practice. Give God the glory, Christian. Peter is preparing his followers to suffer well. I want all of us to be prepared to suffer well. Is it cruel? Is it doom and gloom to think about these things? Well, I don't know. But apparently God and the Holy Spirit don't think so. The Father sent His Spirit to give these words. And I want us all <coughs> to like the apostles. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 5, verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. They had just been beaten. Beaten. And they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. Wow. I want us to leave the council like that. If we're mocked, I want us to smile. Because there was enough of Christ, enough truth in you that they could persecute it. Count it all Joy, brothers and sisters. Count it all joy. Christ will see us through. His Spirit has not left us. The glory of God is our highest goal. May we walk worthy of Him.